Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And we're back. We're back. In action. In action. Uh, so Spectology is a book club po- podcast where each month we pick a speculative fiction book, uh, read it, and talk Ooh. about it over the course of two episodes. So this is our post-read episode for sure N.K. Jemison's wonderful The Killing Moon. Um, so we'll be talking about that book, full spoilers, essentially from the get-go. Uh, we have our 17.1 pre-read contextual episode, which is us talking about the book with no spoilers. If you'd like you know, to, to hear why you might want to read the book, hear anything about it, you should go back and listen to that. Don't listen to this one unless you don't care about spoilers like me. Yeah, or if you're just like me and you know you love enjoy the only way that you want to enjoy content that you haven't yet personally experienced is in a quote-unquote non-spoiler fashion we could you know if you don't know what i'm talking about you could listen to our episode about spoilers <laughs> right and just don't listen to our podcast at all at, the, at that point i think is that no is no the listen to the previews that's their four um yeah i so uh, i told you matt i was gonna interrupt you and uh interrupt our intro and say that we got a lovely new review um on itunes so i get these like emails when we get reviews um hey now and it is uh it's from one of our irish listeners and the review was simply one star i guess if you like hearing the word like a lot this is the podcast for you (laughs) amazing (laughs) that's so So, good like apologies to like all of our listeners i like know that i tend to say like a lot and i'll do my best to like chill (laughs) i clearly need more vocal fry because like we didn't need that person listening as much as they clearly already did we could have driven them off quicker I do feel like I hear myself say like a lot when I edit the episodes because I, I, you know, it's like I, I record the episode, then I edit and which involves listening it to is it like, like twice. Yeah. Usually it, it is like that. I listen to our episodes so many times and I deeply, deeply feel for this poor listener because every time I say the word like I cringe when I re-listen to it. So. But I'm I also not, feel like haters going to hate, you know? Right. I mean, there's also there's also that. Um, but, you know, it's what I thought. It, I thought it was funny. I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but also, you know, I think there's some like honest truth to, to that. So we'll, we'll see. It's just how I talk, though. So like y'all like got to get like with it. I think how you talk is fine. I like how you talk. I appreciate I like that. I like you too, Matt. So You're the book, pal. we read it. What do you think? Uh, we should do our kind of like, you know, quick, quick mini reviews. What yeah. Did you do you think? want to do a little content warning first? Oh, that's maybe? probably um, a good idea. Um, having now read the book, I'll perhaps add my two cents since Adrian yeah. provided a little content warning last time. Uh, I think definitely a lot of violence. Mm. A lot of pretty serious violence, violence, I would say. Intense, yeah. Um, So definitely be warned. I think, you know, if that sort of thing is particularly effective. It's very like up close and personal Um, violence too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely take take that into account when you're considering maybe if you want to read this or not. I would I, say I found it pretty disturbing. Yeah. Um, it's meant to be although, disturbing too. Yeah, it's not, right. it's not, it's, it, it is exactly. disturbing because it is meant to be. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, you know, like Adrian said last time, this is NK Jemison is very aware of what she's doing. She's 
intentional about her use of violence. It's not meant to be celebrated at all or cool or anything like that. But it is there and it's very intense. Very intense. Right. Well, I guess I'm also saying like, you know, you don't have to be particularly sensitive to find it upsetting. <laughs> like, I think totally. you and I are both not particularly sensitive. Yeah, I about found this it very kind of stuff. And we, yeah, so yeah. I, I did too. I think too, there's a lot of stuff about like, you know, like eternal damnation and like souls being lost forever and that kind of thing, which is pretty intense. Right. Yeah. I mean, all this st- violence that's committed sort of uh, in the dream world, mm-hmm. um, violence that's committed against souls, that can be particularly affecting. And certainly, you know, in a way, it's exactly because the violence is taken so seriously that it's so intense. You know, we are meant to, I think, feel intimately how awful it is. Yes. Um, and that succeeds. <laughs> she succeeds at making the reader feel bad. But it's she a sure really does. good book. <laughs> yeah. So Capsule Review, I loved it. <laughs> did you love it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> I wanted to read it again because of how much I loved it the first time. And I did too. So <laughs> yeah. tell me, give me your like, you know, like two minute review of it. Cause I, I I've read it before. So I'm totally, curious, yeah. You and know, you already have told level. us that this is your favorite, right? This is your favorite NK Jemison book and you've read all of them and you really like her stuff. And so, right. you know, it's a high, it's a high, uh, high expectations. I went in with high expectations and they were met. I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Uh, I started the next, the other dream blood duology book. Mm-hmm. Um, although I haven't gotten very far yet. Uh, I will awesome. say, I like, mean, since we're in spoiler podcast, like, yeah, the second Dream Blood book, maybe my least favorite of her books. Weirdly enough, well, that's disappointing. It is. Well, I don't know. I like your mileage may vary, and also I find yeah. myself thinking about it a lot for what that is worth. Yeah, uh, maybe more so than some of her other books. So, like, yeah. but yeah, it, it's definitely this this book in particular, and it does stand alone so well as part of why we wanted to read it. It but does. It does. In, yeah. In the reason I'm. Right. The reason I'm jumping to the next one is not because I like need to find out what happened next, but rather just because I really like this world and Mm -hmm. there's more stuff in the world to devour. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Yeah, so I I really I really liked it. What did you think of like the, the, you know, characters and stuff? Like, did you have a favorite character? Because we get a couple different viewpoints. There were no there were no like starships or buildings for me to (laughs) fall head over heels for. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. I like, I like, a, I like a lot of the characters. I really enjoy, you know, NK Jemison is really, really good at giving us people who kind of are not, you know, complete in some sense, you know, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. one thing that, that I, I actually enjoy in, in, in some kinds of, uh, stories is the sort of very tropey character, the character who like, you know, is totally a certain thing and kind of stays that and like really embodies a certain idea of, of what a person could be to a, to a high degree. And then just kind of continues to be that. So like the master thief, you know, or the grizzled starship captain or, you know, there's a million of them, but she's really good at delivering us characters who kind of like have, you know, a kind of juicy tropiness, but like are still real people and are obviously not like finished in some sense, you know, like a hero, the, one of the main characters of this book is, he's this sort of really fascinating combination of a lot of different things, but he's definitely not a finished person. Like despite being older and, and, and wise and grizzled, you know, and kind of right. experienced, he's uh, somebody who still has his demons and who's like struggles with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, all that in a context where another fascinating thing she, that she's really good at, which she does 
better in this book than I think Broken Earth is giving you like multiple cultures that have different views of each other and kind of struggle with each other and each other's beliefs. Right. Uh, while while not actually making it super clear that, oh, the author actually prefers this one to the other one. Totally. Uh, totally. That works so well in this book. It, it's it's accomplished so effectively, especially when we get to the end. And there's a little bit of a moral role reversal, like a moral high ground role reversal between the two main cultures when one of them like ends up conquering the other, maybe perhaps not, you know, their initial plan, but like it just turns out to be the best geostrategic move. And so they do it. And then, you know, they have to deal with the the, the moral consequences of like being a new being like a, like an imperial power all of a sudden so there are a lot of things i liked about this book i can see why you would rate it really highly among her books because mm. you know like i said i think you know the the culture the kind of culture clash stuff is actually bet she does it better here than than broken broken earth mm-hmm. uh, i also think the you know the it's interesting because we don't get as we get like kind of because it's just one book right we get we do get a mix of povs but we don't spend like that long with any one pov character because it's only one book and it's only you know however many pages long right um and so we kind of we get but but despite spending like maybe not that much time with each character we get a lot of growth and change from all of them like there isn't any one of these characters who doesn't kind of have their own moral journey that they go through and they're all their moral journeys are different and they kind of almost have this thing of being these just sort of ships that are like charting different courses that at a certain point pass near each other but then continue on their ways and it's it's just so kind of it's it creates this beautiful geometry of people kind of flying by each other you know with different trajectories and uh i you know the the overall effect is uh, is kind of almost more beautiful, perhaps, than than Broken Earth, despite being much shorter and and kind of. I I don't know. I mean, I don't yeah. know that I would say that I like it more, but I really liked it a lot. Well, one thing you know, I mean, the caveat I give when I say this is my favorite like book of hers is it's like my favorite single book of hers, right? Because like the Broken mm-hmm. Earth books are. They do together tell this like one complete story that frankly yeah. is like a larger and more ambitious story than this right. story exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but also they do it in this way that is like in this series and it kind of like needs to be that long. And each book is right. like on the one hand, it's one complete story. On the other hand, like each book is a different separate book that like, you know, doesn't work on its own, but is its own book. And like, you can see why she wrote it as three distinct books instead of one, like, you know, 2000 page long book, for instance. Yeah. It's a fascinating study in the differences between different lengths of fiction, actually. It is. It's really interesting. It is. You, you, what, one thing that she has, uh, N.K. Jemison has a very strong, I think, voice as an author. You know, there's, she has this sort of set of um, plays that she runs, so to speak. She has like a, a set of skills that she deploy, just deploys like each time. And it's not, you know, she's good enough that you don't, you don't, you don't see the seams, unless you really look for them, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm not trying to say like, oh, you know, she's so obvious about what she's doing. I I just mean, she has a strong sense of what kind of a writer she is and that comes through. And so it's even cooler in a way to sort of see her doing very different things and to see how she deploys her sort of 
her talents in these slightly different ways each time. I think maybe you were the one that said this at one point, Adrian, that like one of the cool things that you get from reading an entire author, an author's entire oeuvre is like this ability to kind of look at how they, they do different things and compare, you know, the, the holding the one person constant, compare the kind of different effects of that person on certain ideas. It's a, it's a cool way to think about it. Right. I don't know if I said that exactly, but that is definitely how I feel about having yeah. read all of her work. I mean, the one thing, cause I, I think I was speaking specifically about, you know, one of the moves that she makes, which is to have stories told slightly outside of the story. So in the broken earth, she has like, you know, oh, yeah, I love snippets that. before each chapter that is, you know, like a historical found documents from like within the world. And in this, in this, she has um both the same thing of like snippets from these like books of like law and wisdom and these various like religious and like legal texts from the culture um, as well as there are these interludes, which are, you know, this like story being told by one person to another person. And you don't really find out who they are until the very end uh, the, when the last yeah. story is told and like being able, like this is, you know, these are both, both of those things are two different moves that she makes in several of her books, like broken earth, these books, uh, I think a one or two of the um, Inheritance Trilogy books, like like these are common moves for her. And I think it's cool because yeah. she uses them, even though on the one hand they're common moves, on the other, she uses them differently. They have different like feels, for lack of a better word, like they feel totally. different in different books. Yeah. They like accomplish different goals in different books. Um, so yeah, it is very cool to be able to see that as well as, you know, I think... So going back to the question of like, you know, why was this my favorite of her books? You know, there's the caveat. It's like individual book. But also for me, like I do really love the thing you pointed out of like there's multiple, not just like viewpoints of characters, but actually viewpoints of cultures. Like the characters come from different cultures. They embody those cultures, different characters from different like the same culture might embody their own culture differently and interpret their like texts and history and stuff. And, you know, there's their moral authority in different ways. And I really like that. I like that there's no clear like one person who is like correct per se. I I love it so much. I I also love how like she's able to create a a dense enough culture that in each case, we don't just get people who kind of represent like the mainstream of the culture that they're from. We also get people who represent these like liminal characters from the culture they're from, or they represent these strange combinations of things, you know, like, right. uh, Well, to your point, a Heru, uh, I don't know how to pronounce any of their names. I I don't either. I mean, you know, like the the, like kind of mentor character, right? Like you, like you said, and and on some sense, he's like incredibly um, experienced, but he's experienced in this like really, really narrow domain. Right. Like he has like an extreme amount of experience in this like one particular domain. And it is a problem for him. Like it means that he can't see outside of his experience and outside of his domain. And it makes it means that like, you know, when he's in situations that don't fit that experience, that don't fit that domain, he doesn't do a very good job necessarily of dealing with those situations, even as he thinks he's doing a great job, right? Like there's some (laughs) Dunning-Kruger effect going on if he's like, well, I'm following the like, you know, God's moral authority. So obviously I'm doing the right thing. And it's like, (laughs) man, you don't even know what you don't know. But it's so cool. She's so good at juxtaposing people 
in multiple different dimensions simultaneously. So he's yeah. juxtaposed against uh, the diplomat. Um, right. But also against his mentee. Um, and so, you know, you see him kind of in simultaneously, he's in this position of being sort of somebody who like is a little bit out to sea once, you know, once they've all left Gujarin behind and they're traveling mm-hmm. together, like he's a little bit out to sea. He doesn't have kind of access to the infrastructure that he has, you know, spent the last like multiple decades having access to. He's not, he has to hide his identity. He has to do X, Y, Z things. He's, he doesn't know like why he, he doesn't understand the like broader political context of what's going on at all. He doesn't understand who to trust. He feels kind of out to sea, but at the same time, he's still in this mentor role to this younger guy who's, right. you know, who, and, and it's like, it's a very complicated role, you know, because it also kind of exists in lots of different dimensions at the same time. Like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a father son thing going on. There's an older brother, little brother thing going on. But then, like, the younger character is in love with him and wants to have sex with him. Right. Well, <laughs> it's, it's like unclear, so complicated. It's unclear if he wants to have sex with him. I actually want to, like, put that aside a little bit because I want to yeah, talk about the, it. like, sexual kind of, um, yeah. not politics is the wrong word, but, like, sexual element of the book. I think it's really fascinating, yeah. and it's one of the yeah. things she does a really good job with, um, totally. or at least a really thoughtful job with. I think it done yeah. better or worse in different books. But, like, that's something I kind of want to put aside a little bit, but totally, I totally hear you of, like, you know, that is, like, all of these things come through. And then also like the, uh, the diplomat character also has like the young woman who she is a mentor to, right? Like there are these kind of parallel roles with them. And, you know, obviously that poor young woman doesn't like has a very ignoble end early in the book, but you, you, you know, she, she does this thing of being able to like show you like these same types of relationships and how like different people in those relationships will act differently. Um, or, you know, show you how like people who like might act one way in one situation act a very different way in a different situation. And that's like normal and okay. Yeah. I, I really love, she is very sophisticated and subtle in the relationships that she creates. I mean, there's a way in which sometimes uh a good so okay there's actually a whole other before i even get to the thing i was about to say there's one last thing uh, as a summary you know theme thing theme level thing that i love about this book i love that it's fucking genre fiction yeah (laughs) i love that it's like a murder mystery slash political thriller which is like this you know this genre that there's a bajillion of them and and it's a, a a really dense rich genre with like lots of classic elements um, that one tends to see happen, you know, in a certain way. And, and she's playing with that too. Like at the same right. time, <laughs> I love that. I love that genre. I love what she does with it. No, it's so why it's to, like, yeah. it's like a Michael Mann movie set in like a J.R.R. Tolkien novel or, or setting or so, right. Like, <laughs> like those are both wrong, but like, that's kind of, I, I, I too agree <laughs> with you. I mean, it's part of what I really enjoy about this book is that it's like, you know, we talked about the kind of melding of like setting genre elements of how like she takes both Jungian psychology and marries that with like ancient Egyptian like culture to create this like new thing that she then like puts magic into and like has a story in. But then like also that story, the structure of that story is one of a political thriller and a murder mystery. And so she like combines two, two separate genres in terms of the story structure and then combines all four of those like genre settings, whatever you want to call them to make this actual like immediate book that you're reading. Um, and that's really fun. Like it's, it's very, it's, it's fun and it's interesting. Like, it's a really yeah. cool kind of murder mystery type thing, especially where like, you know, 
like it's a murder mystery where like the detectives and the murderers are the same people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's a great twist in the genre, but I mean, I guess, you know, one of the thing, one of the things I think about when I think about liking this book a lot is kind of, it's interesting to think about what I like about it so much. I think with certain authors, you know, it would be easy to say, Oh, you know, so-and-so is really good at like X, Y, Z things. N.K. Jemison is so good at so many things. It, it's mm-hmm. almost like exactly because of the high level that she's playing this game at. Like, it's right. hard to see what she's doing sometimes. It's almost frustrating. It feels almost like unfair how good she is at just like all of it. <laughs> yeah. But like, I think if we slow down and we think about it more, this is one of the reasons I was excited to have our, our last episode discussion about world building. Because I think yeah. if we slow down and think about more what she's doing and and maybe like read some of what she's written or listen to some of what she's said about what she's doing we can kind of see more of it um so the world building for instance we already talked about that at length but i do think that's a differentiator here i mean yeah she's really good at crafting plot and genre and like a genre-based plot and like the characters that go along with it but like but she's great at other people are good building. at that too yeah right. like like she is like you know top 10 world builders ever in terms of actually yeah. like designing these worlds totally yeah and and like it's the it's the kind of the marriage of those things you know it's the it's like taking this world which is so incredibly dense and rich and subtle and adding this plot to it i mean like it would be easy to write a kind of like you know, Dreamblood Silmarillion style book that's just like about the world and it doesn't really have much plot or it has like these disconnected like mini plot stories that kind right. of all fit together to create this cool thing. And like right. that might be good. There may be a really good version of that out there somewhere. But that wasn't what she wanted to do. She she wanted to write a genre story, like a, a, a very plot heavy, fun, fast paced, thrilling, action packed kind of uh, pulls you along story. Right. And she just did that so well and slotted it into this world in this like seamless fashion. Right. It's I, interesting. I, it's like, I think one, yeah. it may be one of the reasons I'm less into the second book in the in the series and so much as you can call it the series, maybe the second book in this world is that it's not the same. Like the story genre is different. It's like more of an like adventure, like action adventure type story and you know doesn't there's still a lot of like political stuff going on but i wouldn't call it necessarily a political thriller it's almost like a adventure story and like building san roman like mashed together instead of a political thriller and a you know murder mystery mashed together and that's that's another amazing thing that she's the fact that she's even capable of sort of easily dropping different plots into this world is also a testament to the world right i think I mean, it's one of why I say it's frustrating is like, so I used to juggle in college. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jesus. Um, (laughs) uh, I used to juggle in college and like every now and again, you come across these jugglers who it's like, they're so good that it's frustrating how good they are because it's not just like, Oh, he can like juggle five clubs, which is, you know, really hard, but he can juggle five clubs and make it look like he's not trying at all. It's not just that he can do it. It's that he is like makes it look like he's not even trying and like there's an element of that like I really like I use juggling here specifically because it really feels like she's juggling so many things and you to the point that you don't even notice how many things it is that she's juggling at first because it looks like she it looks like she's juggling three balls when she's juggling seven clubs right like it's not only is it harder things but it's way more of them that she's doing totally it's actually difficult to the point where it, it is sort of difficult to summarize this book, except in the very, like, very abstract way that we've done it. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many things going on 
it's right. very dense. Right. Like we haven't even talked about like the other two gatherers and like their relationship with each other and with um with the with the new gatherer, the apprentice gatherer and like Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah, with their uh, relationship with him and his relationship with them and the way he looks at them and the way how he views them changes. And like yeah. they're this weird almost like Abbott and Costello, like one's kind of funny. <laughs> Like, like it's a strange fucking duo. <laughs> yeah, they're they're weirdos. They're, they're so weird, and and like we barely get any of them. But like, but they're amazing, and they're you crazy. could easily imagine a book about one of them or the or both of them. <laughs> right. I mean, I want a TV show that's just like their weirdo adventures together. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like we, you know, you could, you could kind of zoom in on a lot of different things here. I mean, yeah. we also haven't talked about the specific differences between the cultures, between like the, the Gujarin and the, um, Kisua culture. Yeah. The Kisua is like the Southern, like the Sudan analog, I guess. And Gujarin Kush. is like the Egypt analog. Right. Yeah. And, and like, you know, it's like, th- there are a lot of really interesting specific differences there. And then there's the, the specifics of how dreaming works and how the kind of, mythology and magic God. of this world comes together like the i, I want to talk about dreams so badly do you want to just jump into dreams <laughs> no no let's finish let's finish this i just like all another like putting a pin in the other thing i want to talk yeah, about yeah. here so <laughs> like, like you know i mean like dreams the are my like themes this time yeah <laughs> yeah totally so it's like density but it's also really delicate and and like it's such a, an amazing balance of those of those things because you know one way to do density is to have a lot of one thing. So, for instance, you could have a lot of characters, you know, like a huge long list of characters. A lot of epic fantasy novels or science fiction novels will have like so many characters. You need an index to keep track of how many characters there are and like what their relationships are to each other. You know, think of like mm-hmm. Dune. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's a kind of that's a certain kind of density. Or like a lot of, you know, places or like a lot of history, like thousands of years of a chronology that's behind, you know, the events of the book in the moment. Um, but she she has this she provides like enough that it gives you a sense of those things. But that's actually not like the most of the density of the book is implied rather than explicit. And it, it so you get this like really she has this really deft touch where she's like sort of gives you just enough to give you the sense that that stuff exists, but doesn't actually give you so much that it's a pain to keep track of. She really just gives you only exactly what you need for the story, which manages to convey the impression of massive density while actually being just like sort of brushstrokes. It's almost kind of impressionistic in a certain way. Well, so this is actually something we talked a little bit about in our, um, I forget if it was the pre or the, it must've been the post read for semiosis. Um, And we were talking about the sort of like, you know, density of different story elements and this idea that like, it's okay Mm. actually at some points just be like, well, this is the thing I'm not focused on. So I'm going to like hand wave it a little bit. And Mm. this is the thing I'm focused on. So I'm going to like go really deep in it. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about that after we had talked in the pre-read for this book and was thinking about how, like, like, it feels like there's, there's, there's really something to that. Like she's really good at knowing at any given moment, like, 
I have all this stuff in the background for this and I don't need to give it to you or I can wait to give it to you later or I can, you know, put it in one of these like, you know, text snippets in a like future chapter, maybe maybe a much earlier chapter. And like then when you come across it later, you'll be like, oh, I kind of I kind of know that thing. Right. Like I, I yeah. kind of get what he's talking about, even if I don't remember yeah. why I know that thing. And it makes it feel very, you know, kind of like like she's good, not just at like knowing overall in the entire story, like what things need to be dense, but also like at any given moment, like this is the dense portion here and like this other thing exists, but I don't need to necessarily like draw your attention to it. I need to do that somewhere else. So I don't need to do it at all. I think it's too, That's it's so worth true. kind of pointing yeah. out that like, I think for a lot of this stuff that like she might, hint at or like feels dense but you only like see you know feels deep but you only ever see the surface of it a lot of that stuff might show up in one of the other books because for all that like okay this isn't a cimmerillion <laughs> i look of, forward to of, it of of Kucherine. it also like there are like multiple short stories and novels all set in this world yeah. so the entire like corpus of texts about Kujarin, like maybe you can think about it that way if you want to. Like that entire corpus of books and stories is itself kind of a Cimmerillion of Kujarin. Right. And so I think you you yeah. get some of that of like, you know, I mean, like I said, there's this short story, the necromancer or the narcomancer, excuse me, set um like thousands of years before either of the novels are. And like that's the kind of thing she'll do is like let's Ooh, is write it about it Inuru. Uh, no, it's set after him. It's like just oh, this one person who is like doing some stuff. Uh, I, I haven't reread it, so I don't want to like go into it because I feel like I That's will fine. say it incorrectly. No but spoilers. like, it's cool. It's totally <laughs> worth reading. One of the things I do remember about it is there's this sense of like, you know, like the strict kind of like differences between like the gatherers and the healers and all these different like parts of the Hedewa aren't totally like as strict at that point. Right. And like people oh, kind of cool. like have different roles in this. Yeah. Sort of stuff. The like the, where that sort of culture is at that moment. Is different. Where the evolution of those political entities is at that moment. Right. You know? But that, that goes to show that there is like an actual evolution over time that she has in her mind of like how these political entities got this way. And it's important, even if yeah. she never has to tell you it. But it yeah, does make yeah, it yeah. like having that, like that she knows it and that it makes sense means that just talking about the present makes for a present that feels more present and feels more lived in and feels like it makes more sense. Feels like it's actually a 3,000 year old culture instead of someone trying to write a 3000 year old culture, if that makes any sense. It does. One of the ways I think that she achieves this, this that I love so much is, you know, you already mentioned it, the, the kind of tidbits that are at the beginning of different chapters mm, or the like mm -hmm. mini stories that are like mm -hmm. these kind of interstitial chapters, um, sprinkled throughout the book. You know, a lot of, uh, spec fic, sci-fi fantasy, whatever, a lot of it will do that kind of thing sometimes. Yeah. It's not a totally uncommon move, but no, nor is it one she, she invented in any way. Of course, but 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 she's so good at it. Partly, I think, because mm -hmm. a common thing to do would be to say, like, okay, you know, uh, the action in this chapter is going to involve like this place, or it's going to involve that person, or it's going to be in reference to like this fictional historical event. Right. And so I'm going to have a quote at the beginning that will be like just about that and give you some like background on that thing. It's right. not we'll what give she you does. Context for this chapter, but that's not yeah, how she, she does. She it. gives you cultural context. Yeah. You know, she gives you like, 
and like cultural that context the... that like builds itself over time. So as you read the book, you get more and more cultural context and background stuff, stuff that is going on perhaps in the characters' minds, anthropological context. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Stuff that stuff that they might be thinking about, but that she doesn't need to have them say that they're thinking about it, you know, specifically. Yep. And it's so it's so effective at creating this sense of depth and, and 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 density, but it doesn't hit you over the head with anything. And it kind of almost has a poetic sensibility because by being oblique, you know, it allows for different interpretations. And then that 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 means that you're the you the reader are now playing these like interpretive games with the cultures that she's made and it's it's just it's just there's a lot more going on there a lot more for you to do as a reader if you want you don't have to um then it would be if she were just saying like yes on and on this and and on this date you know a thousand years ago so and so also was in this town that the characters are in now Mm -hmm. right and you know and i think that uh so i really like the way she handles that in the broken earth books and i think that does a really good job But I do think that this is actually another thing I really like about this book is that it, you know, I feel like uh, because she also, I I said, does some of it in the Inheritance Trilogy. And I think she does a better job of it in this book than in any of the Inheritance Trilogy books from what I remember. I I haven't ever Mm, reread those. So, you know, this is like a four year old. Yeah, I've never read those. They're they're fine. They're honestly like I, I. so my reading order was the the uh, fifth season, the first of the Broken Earth novels, and then this, and then oh, one or two of the Inheritance books, and then the sequel to this, and then the last of the Inheritance books, uh, and then the other two novels in the Broken Earth series, because those weren't out yet when I did my big read of all of her works oh, in 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense then. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's that's why no, that's why I went back, because I read the the, the fifth and there season was no like, more as a hardcover so when it came out. Right, it's like, I need more of this shit. What else can I read? And this was the first one I picked up, just by total yeah, it was necessary. complete chance. Honestly, not total chance. I heard it was about ancient Egypt and was like, sign me the fuck up. I'm reading that one, because <laughs> I love Love that shit. Um, <laughs> Take right. my money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, one nice thing is that she does have both this and the Inheritance trilogy as their own kind of single, like all published together books. So the like, it was not like a hundred dollars of like purchasing yeah, her books. I really <laughs> it recommend. It was like forty. <laughs> right, that's what I did for the Dreamblood duology. I didn't pick up Killing Moon by itself. I picked up right uh, both Dreamblood novels uh together and it's a it was a great deal i think right it was it's less like twelve dollars instead yeah. of like ten dollars for either one of them yeah, yeah totally highly recommended it. totally i mean i think totally. and we should say also you know although you know the the books you know we have views about which of her books we like the best i mean her worst book is still good i think right you would say that yeah i'm trying to you know i don't know which one i would classify as her worst book i think so what i was going to say actually is that like i think the broken earth novels are great I think the this book is great. I think a lot of her other like her if I had just read one of her inheritance trilogy books, I don't know that I would have been super into it. Part of it is that like fantasy isn't really my genre. We've talked about this before. And part of it is that like I don't think I don't know those none of none of those three books spoke to me in the way that like this book or the Broken Earth books or even the like sequel mm-hmm. to this book which as I said is not my favorite of her books, but also like I think about a lot. I don't think about mm-hmm. the Inheritance trilogy books. 
for whatever reason. And like some of this is probably me and my own cultural biases and privileges and everything. But like those books didn't really do it for me. And I think honestly, some of it, like I've heard her or I've, I not heard because I've actually heard her speak, but I've read some of what she's written about these and the inheritance trilogy books, like before she wrote the broken earth books. And I do get the sense that like to some degree, the inheritance trilogy was her like subverting fantasy tropes and like specifically doing like a subversion of what fantasy is. And like, that doesn't mean a lot to me because I'm not a fantasy guy, right? Like I'm not steeped enough in the, in the fantasy genre to really like get it that well, frankly. Um, whereas these books are much more straightforward, just like, well, I wanted to write like fun fantasy novels. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and yeah. so I get them more. They're like a lot easier for me to like yeah. read in the same way that like, you know, a, 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 you know, like for, for someone like, you know, like a burrito is easier to eat than like tripe <laughs> soup, even though they're both like Mexican food, quote unquote, but, like one is more suited to my palate than the other. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think we got it. The burrito. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying. To, I, I will say no, no. It's good. It's good. I will say that uh, I in, probably intend eventually to read all of her all of her work. I really like everything that I have read of it. Um, and you know, even even if you tell me, for for example, that that inheritance, you know, may They're all worth be, reading. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my sort of baseline is I expect all of her stuff to be really worth reading. And yeah, even if it's none not of them less, is bad. more or less to your taste. Uh, personally, I love fantasy, so I'm all about all this and right. I can't wait. Can't wait to pick it up. Cool. So should we um, maybe dig into some of the like thematic various I elements of the book that we will talk about dreams? Let's talk about dreams. I do want to say one thing to as a preamble. I keep saying Jungian and in my head it sounds great. But when I like listen to the episode back, it sounded like I was saying union over and over again. Um, I don't even know if you can hear a difference. Just say like Jungian and then everyone will know what you mean. I just I just want to point out that I'd say like like <laughs> I think often people pronounce it like Jungian or Jungian psychology, right? J-U-N-G. And, you know, Carl Jung was a philosopher slash psychiatrist slash psychologist slash, you know, mystical charlatan, whatever you want to call him in the, you know, I guess like late 1800s, early 1900s uh, Germany, where he took a lot of Freud's ideas and kind of like added to them and did. uh, I, I think he was he in particular started doing a lot of the more like um how do you call it? Uh, kind of textual analysis of dreams and of, you know, doing like kind of like combo literary analysis and like, uh, like Freudian analysis. Um, and so <laughs> I his, can't tell if that was intentional or not. <laughs> uh, one was not. And the second one. Okay. Was. <laughs> I just, now that I hear when I hear myself doing it, I can't, I can't unhear it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the, you know, that is something that like comes up a lot in here and is like interesting. And I personally have not like read any Jung, so I don't like know a whole lot about how he differs from Freud or whatever necessarily. Uh, whereas I have read like Freud's case studies and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I think it's worth saying also that, you know, the, the, the fact that you're prompted to think of Jung, Jung makes a lot of sense. Uh, and Kay Jemison has, you know, she writes in, in the, I think it's the acknowledgements 
that she was, uh, you know, inspired a lot by Jung's Red Book. Yeah. Um, which is oh, yeah, it's explicitly this yeah. isn't so just not, me. This is her. Right. And also, I mean, like, well, the, you know, the the Jungisa, right? Like the, the, the he, she uses his name in the like the stones that put people to sleep. <laughs> like that's it's not it's not even like, you know, just like explicitly what she was thinking of. Like she put his name in the text. In my head, I pronounced it Jungisa. I Which think that's probably how it would be pronounced <laughs> but by who the knows? people. It's a made up who, word. I think right, we can safely exactly. disagree right. about it. But it is also, I mean, it's the same letters, right? The 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 four letters are there. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. I uh I just I just uh so bullshit preamble aside, I'll cut all of that out. Um <laughs> I loved the dream. Like I just love this, like so since I was a kid, I've been like fascinated by dreams, right? I'm sure this is fairly common amongst especially like, you know, weird, sensitive, nerdy sci-fi geeks. Um, but like dreams have always fascinated me and I always like wanted more weird dream stuff. I mean, like we've talked about HP Lovecraft before on this podcast, like his dream quest stories were always oh my God. one of my favorites. Oh, yes. The dream quest of unknown Kadath is, is fucking so cool, fucking trippy, like and weird. It's so cool, <laughs> kind of scary, even though it's not one of his horror stories. And it's there's the one scary. about like cats that's set in the same world. I mean, he has like multiple stories set in this, like you know, in the same world as the dream quest of unknown Kadath. Yeah, and I really like those. It's they're cool, and they you know like I I like that stuff. I also read a fair amount of um. You know, it's it's funny because I read a fair amount of like horror that had dream stuff in it. And I always liked that horror with dream stuff in it because of the dream stuff, not because of the horror stuff. Um, and so it's fun to read something that is like, I mean, obviously there are like scary and horrific elements to this book, but that is something that is not a horror novel. It's not necessarily in the horror genre yeah. that like plays with these dreamscapes because I think that dreamscapes are so rich and textured and like the 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 descriptions of like people inside of their dreams and of this idea of you know you know this there's this point where where she describes or i think um heru describes like people in their dreams like reaching out for comfort and like you know because they create their own dream spaces like creating comfort around them or like you know actually wanting terror even though they like think they want comfort so like when you you know have a nightmare you're kind of like building terror for yourself and this this thought yeah. so this is a thought i've had a number of times which is like some of the most afraid i've ever been in my life like the most goddamn terrified i've ever been have had to do with dreams have been like nightmares of various kinds right and like this idea that like my brain can make something more scary for me than like anything in the real world <laughs> and that in fact like all fear is just in my brain like fear is just like a creation of my brain whether it's like a reaction to the real world or to a dream but like also like I can react more strongly to like literally like my brain can make something up that scares me more than anything in the real world can scare me is like a really wild fucking thought to me and something that I think she really gets at in this book and like uses in this book. I'm just bringing it up because it's like cool, wild, weird, trippy to think about. Yeah, but like that's totally. that's like you know, there's no hell per se. There's no like Satan creating a hell. There is in fact only like 
yourself. Like hell is in other people. Hell is not being able to like have someone who's good at it, like spin a nice dreamscape for you and instead spinning your own dreamscape as you die. Like that's what hell is. That's (laughs) what happens when someone like doesn't get, um, the like God's blessing or the like isn't gathered correctly or whatever is they like get yeah. scared, create their own hellscape. And then like, you know, whew, like flit, flit off into that for all eternity. I'm like, Holy yeah. fuck. <laughs> That's so it's scary. But you know, it's so, it's so complicated and in, in, in other ways too, because she doesn't just like straight up do that. There's also people who disagree with the Ehiru and the other gatherers conception of how this works, right? Totally, um, totally. And and like one question that I had about all of narcomancy, which I think is a really interesting question is like also a great name, fuck. <laughs> right? It's so good. So like, you know, there's a lot of talk of harvesting different kinds of uh dream humors. Yeah. And this is the, another another incredibly fucking also cool thing is that she perfect. doesn't. I know it's so good. It's so good. She takes like uh, medieval European uh, medicine and like combines it with the collective unconsciousness and like right. you know psychological complexes. And she just like mashes those two things together, which makes so much sense too because perfect. like medieval Christian mysticism is such a, a big input. I think uh, to like Jung and like all the psychoanalyst people. Yeah, but but so like. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk of harvesting these different dream humors. A question that I always had throughout this book was what is the price you pay for allowing yourself to be harvested exactly? Like when you give up your dream humor to a sharer or a gatherer or whoever, um, you know, certainly like when you're gathered, you die. That causes you to die. But right. does it also mean that whatever that dream humor is, is no longer yours? Like, have you reduced your soul in in any way in doing that? Like, I think there's a, there's maybe, I don't know how much ambiguity there's supposed to be about this in the book, but like, I felt a little ambiguous about it. And I feel like maybe kind of behind the scenes, this is a little bit of the, of the, of the kind of cultural disagreement between, between the, the Kiswa and the the Gujarin, like the -hmm. Gujarin believe, it seems like there's not really, it's like always a net positive to like allow willing people to have their dreams be harvested and then reused. But to me, it's sort of like, I don't know if that's net positive in terms of like, like, like maybe not, maybe it's an inefficient process in some sense. You know what I mean? Maybe like as part of the harvesting, some is lost, you know, or, or like, it's just, it's just not clear. And I think it's totally fascinating to think about the sort of economy of dream humor that, that is implied here, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. people are even aside from people who are like totally setting aside all the gathering and all the stuff about like if, if it's ever morally uh justified to like give up your own life so that somebody else may be like healed or whatever um set that aside like talk about just the people who like you know donate who tithe some of their you know other the humors. dream seed or whatever yeah or like the people that go and have sex and tithe the like yeah dream seed Right, um, right. And, and like, and then that is then reused to do X, Y, Z thing. It's sort of, I mean, like w- the people who do the tithing, what have they given up exactly? You know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Cause like, when you, that, uh, like yeah. you can go in and donate blood and you know, like it's fine. Like you will not only survive it, but like be perfectly healthy and fine afterwards. Yeah. At the same time, when you donate blood, like you, you know, need to eat a lot of sugar afterwards immediately. Yeah. You like have to not 
exercise or exert yourself too much for a few yeah. days. Like you it are takes giving a mild toll on your body to do that yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I know it's a very good question. Like, what are you giving up? Like is, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that the book doesn't necessarily like give us an answer. I think another really like this, this got me thinking about another thing that I think ties into it too, is there's this element of like, the characters and just like the cultures in this novel have interpreted this like dreamscape and dream magic in this one particular way where they've like, you know, given it a personification in this goddess and they have, you know, created like they have like internalized it within their like religion and moral framework. And like, there's this question of like, okay, so obviously this magic exists and works and it like does what they think it's doing, at least for the most part. Like you can heal people with it. You can go into dreams and kill people in dreams and also kill them in real life. If you cut off their umbilical cord, like that will kill them and like their soul will leave their body. But like, you know, do we actually know if that dreamscape that a hero has like built for you and is so perfect and pretty and he like, you know, cuts your umbilical cord and like you go off in that dreamscape, like then he leaves the dreamscape and he never sees it again. Like, do we know that that actually like that dreamscape stays perfect in that way he built for you forever? Do we know that you actually like <laughs> go and like meet up with other people for real as you kind of like spin off yeah. into the dream or like, no, these are just like interpretations exactly. that they've built on top of it you i know, know and, as is the goddess herself is this like other interpretation that they've built on top of it which i really love that there's this like me too there are these factual things about like the world works in this certain way and then they have this like model that explains it and gives it why and moral weight and like while we know that x y and z happen the like m- model can be interpreted in different ways. I mean, you know, it's different different by the superior than it is by the gatherers, for instance. Yeah. Right. Like it's interpreted in a different way by the prince. It's interpreted in a very different way by the, you know, Kush empire or the, the, the Kinsua empire, uh, where they have, you know, sure. Like that goddess is like one of many goddesses, you know, I mean, there's almost like a sort of like Buddha, like, krishna thing going on right where it's like you know oh yeah the buddha like he's one of our gods one of our many gods as opposed to you know like oh like buddha had it correct about everything and it's not a god you know it's like you have these elements of like yeah of 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 like this different in interpretation not just in terms of like, should we do these things that we know work in certain ways, but also like, how do they really work? What's their moral weight? What's going on behind the scenes? Are there these personifications of this stuff? Like that is very much, you know, I mean, taken for granted by a lot of the characters, even the characters who disagree, but I don't think is necessarily something like we as readers can take for granted. Oh yeah. It's really totally fascinating too, because like she it's it's incredibly difficult to do this to do this to do what she's done and to create this kind of precise amount of ambiguity so to speak like that where on the one hand <laughs> you know you can you can really easily see why the characters believe in what they believe you can see why nigiri for example at the very end of the book i love this at, at the very end of the book nigiri offers a little bit of ehiru's peace um to uh what's her name the diplomat right 
And like, you know, that's a real thing. Yeah, I keep forgetting her name. Yeah. I feel really um, bad. I don't have my computer on me because of the way we're recording today. Uh, Sunandi. Sunandi, yes. Yeah. So Nijiri gives uh, a little bit of Ehiru's piece to Sunandi. Um, and like, that's a real thing. Like, he's definitely actually doing something to her that actually feels, according to her, a certain way. Okay, yeah. great. And it's like amazing. And like, Nijiri has a very strong belief about what that is. But it's not completely clear that like... Like you could, as a reader, you could have different interpretations. I, I bet there are some readers of this who just believe Nijiri. You know what I mean? Who 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 right. completely adopt his position in this case? To me, when I read that, I felt a little bit amb- like ambivalent about it. I felt like, okay, on the one hand, great, but like on the other hand, you're just like doing drugs to her in some sense. Yeah. Like you're you're like you're like you know hooking her up to this incredible fucking drug that you have in your brain uh, for a second just to give her like a hit. And mm-hmm. and then like your 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 position, Nijiri, is that you know once you've taken a hit, then you understand my philosophy. It's like okay, all right, right. that's that's a really kind of a weird, like. <laughs> well, this is exactly. <laughs> I don't where the feel great about it <laughs> for like all that the prince is like the villain and like a bad guy and like his plans are bad and wrong. He also like has a point. Yeah, like, you, he totally does. And you <laughs> you really do feel for he is right. somewhat sympathetic. Absolutely. It's I mean, amazing. this idea that like they, you know, essentially like addicted me to heroin without my say in the matter. Like that's what the and head of all has done doing for me. This. And, and they did it to my dad. It. Right. You know, like they fucking addicted my dad to heroin and then they tried to do the same move on me. Well, fuck them. Like he's just motivated by like, Sure, he wants to conquer the world or whatever, but like I think even more than that, he hates the Hetawa or whatever. Like, right? He loathes them. Right. I mean, and and like again, reason like somewhat reasonably so. I think the fact that like the gatherers end up gathering the superior, who is the one who has been like in charge of all of this, shows you know some of like like they have yeah. sympathy for his position, even if they don't for his like actions. Right. Like. Oh yeah. There's, I don't know, this, this stuff was really fascinating to me. Like the way I felt totally. about the prince and how, you know, so the prince himself doesn't actually have like a character arc in this. Like he is doing the same thing the whole time. We just get to like True. learn different things about him as the novel goes yeah. on. Yeah. Like we are, we are brought more and more into his plans and his background his and, and just his yeah. world. Exactly. And I think there's something really fascinating about the way that my feelings about him changed over time because it wasn't oh, necessarily yeah, totally. like oh like you know because what one easy move here is like oh the villain's doing a bad thing but we're gonna like he had a hard childhood so actually you should feel <laughs> forgive him right i mean like this right. is like a kind of frequent sort of like move in like less than stellar you know like gray shades of gray style i think fantasy in particular but like you know kind of like genre books in general is like oh give the villain a sympathetic yeah. backstory and then like you have I mean, to f- kind of you forgive can do them. it you can do it in better and worse ways right but, and yeah. i think this is done in a better way essentially of like there's some of that going on here where on the one hand like i 
even agree with some of his goals and and everything i am sympathetic to like even though like i want to become an immortal god because that's what everyone has told me i am and like if i am that thing then all of this political strife goes away like while i might disagree with where i think the end point of that is every logical step along the way makes sense to me right like i get why that is his plan because yeah because i think he does mean well even while he's a monster. <laughs> right. I mean, like, he doesn't... Like, the only people he wants to destroy are people he thinks he has to destroy yeah. to accomplish his goal. Right. Or people who he thinks are just his implacable enemies and who he could... Right. Like... Or people like, who, like, are innocent will, but, like, unfortunately got in the way. Right? I mean, there is this element yeah. of, like, it's an unfortunate side effect that I have to just, like reap 20,000 people and like I'm willing to do it to like have like peace in the long term right like this is where they're foreigners they're barbarians right you know some of them are his own people I mean I think this is where it's it's worth like on the one hand I'm saying on the one hand 20,000 includes yeah it includes a lot of people including some of his own people right like it includes a lot including Kujarine people um, there no, are I don't Kujarine think there warriors. are any Gujarin people. I think I think there I think are. It's only no, there's the whole thing Northerners. about like people out in the like desert, right? There's the folks who like go after them when they're in the the caravan to Kinsua. There there are definitely Kujarin like warriors there amongst a whole bunch of people. Um, but 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 I want to put that aside and say like on the one hand I have been saying that he is sympathetic and like he means well and i think this is like a a worthwhile point of okay so he means well and he's sympathetic but also bad right like like and this is a thing this book does a really good job of of like being well-meaning being sympathetic like having the right ideas or the right motivations or whatever like doesn't forgive like bad actions Right. And I think this is a really kind of cool thing that the book does is like gives us a sympathetic or villain without asking us to necessarily like empathize with him without asking us to necessarily be like, yeah. And so he's sympathetic. So he's right. So it's like, oh, he's wrong. And that's scary how sympathetic he is. And the book, I think, does a very good job of like moving in that direction instead of, I think, the direction that a lot of books go in, which is like, oh, it's morally gray. So, like, you should be able to kind of agree a little bit. And it's like, no, yeah. he's, a, he's a fascist asshole. Like, don't agree with him. But understand <laughs> how he got that way because you could, too, if you don't pay attention to what's going on. And, uh, and the, the exact same move in the other direction when it comes to the Kiswa or really any of the characters mm-hmm, the, the, mm-hmm. there's no character here that doesn't have to make a hard choice and we might not love all the choices that all of them make when when it comes time for the kiswa uh elders to decide the protectors to decide kind of what their strategic response to the prince's aggression is going to be i mean you know i i i don't want to say that i expected them to be like nice but i was I was impressed by their ruthlessness, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, well, there's the moment on the battlefield where they're like, oh, yeah, no, reinforcements aren't coming and we can't tell anyone because we need them to fight as hard as they can. Exactly. Yeah. Like, no, everyone here is going to die. Like, Like, yeah, that's fine. That's just what needs to happen. Yeah. That seems like the right move. Right. And it's, you know what? Honestly, you you can't really fault them for it. But on the other hand, it's kind of ruthless (laughs) right well i mean i think we talked about this with the nine fox gambit of like you know 
when you think about people not as people but as like strategy pieces like yeah it's relatively easy to make those decisions maybe those are the like right air quotes decisions but also like you need to be realistic about that's those are the decisions you're making it's 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 a really i think good portrayal of how political decisions are made yeah Yeah. how how powerful people decide things and right and and, implement those things like not just decide them but do them yeah and 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 another thing that i really like about it is the, the way that you know we're not given you know the the villain so to speak is not um like 50 steps ahead of everyone else we're not given a kind of incredible plot based imbalance of like character right. power right we're going to we're given a complicated situation in which people are making different moves against each other and mm. like you know it I'm like, yeah, he's like two steps ahead of everyone else, but they can also like jump ahead two steps if they need to. Yeah. And they also kind of like knew he was a little, you know, and like, right. (laughs) They, they knew a lot, you know, they had a lot of the protectors of Kiswa had a lot of information that we might not have even thought that they would have, but it makes sense that they would have because they're not fucking idiots. Like (laughs) this has been going on for years. Like Mm -hmm. they're like, you know, you can't just like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> build all these ships and send them north with no one remarking on it that you know? right well and i think too some of it comes down to like the kujarine culture is one where internally there's often been peace and so they are not as good at spycraft they are not as good as being warriors they are you know it's they like, don't even have doors right they haven't <laughs> they haven't built up these like internal antibodies Whereas like this other culture has. And so like push comes to shove, they can actually push a lot harder. Um, You know, and then it's, it's why the, and the prince knows that. Right. And he's like, I need to be as many steps ahead as I can be. And I have to move as quick as I possibly can with all of this, because that's all I have. Cause like, yeah, like one-on-one, like a fair fight, I lose every single time. So like, how can I make this fight as unfair as possible? So I might win. Right. And, and, uh, you know, they counter a lot of his unfair moves, but, the one thing that they wouldn't have been able to counter is if he really had reaped 20,000 people's souls and become immortal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and he almost pulled it off. <laughs> he did. He really did. Najiri really coming through and saving the day there. Yeah. Najiri's cool. I love Najiri's arc. I really yeah. I really like his arc. He cool. kind of do you want to okay do you want to yeah. talk more about dreams no actually, i think i before? think i'm happy to move on to uh to to you know where the conversation takes us and i think it's taking us to nigeria yeah. now dreams are pretty sweet so nigeria is like maybe has one <laughs> I like of that. the, that's how we end it dreams good okay moving on <laughs> <laughs> well dreams are kind of throughout though too you i know, know. We'll, we'll, talk, sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk more <laughs> yeah nigeria is all about dreams you know he has many dreams it's kind of ironic when you think about it that like the people who have the most power over dreams are the people who are really not allowed to dream much in the right. metaphorical sense. <laughs> right. Well, and also and they literally also don't like they their, don't dream. Yeah, literally too. No, right. they don't uh, they don't not remember that they <laughs> stop dreaming on their own right, right. because of all the dream they blood they take in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Wild. like Nigiri is uh really, really interesting. He's he's like sixteen years old, like throughout the action of the book, and he's I think like seventeen. Kind of under, or yeah, something like that. And he's undergoing this, you know, process of growing up. And he yeah. starts out just being acknowledged as an adult apprentice in 
the gatherer club. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of mm-hmm. just starts there. And everything we learn about him is like, it's really interesting to see him kind of progress through his upbringing because we don't like all of his upbringing takes place within the context of the culture of Gujarat. And it's like not our culture at all. And the values that they espouse are not our values as readers. And the the things that he quote unquote learns at, over the course of his upbringing are maybe not things we would like think of as things that a person should learn as they are brought up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's I one do, of the things yeah. I'm fascinated about his arc because his arc is completely defined within the moral context of the Gujarat culture. And right. maybe I, the Kiswa culture too. Like I it's mean, just his not big, like, ours. Catharsis is being able to finally kill people. Yeah. Right. Like including his big like, like self-actualization is being able yeah. to murder. Yes. Including his yeah. mentor, <laughs> his mentor yeah. who he is in love with. Like, whoa, yeah. fuck. <laughs> and that's presented <laughs> and like, because like in this culture, that is actually like that's growing. Like that's good. Like he should be happy at the end of having been able to do those things because he succeeded in everything. The culture like and because, dear. you know, they're they're good things. And, and, and like it's such a sophisticated portrayal of this made up culture because we are both able to seriously sympathize with him and like see kind of why he thinks they're so good. And also sympathize with the people who aren't Gujarin, who, you know, like Sanandi, who like yeah. is like seriously wig the fuck out by these people. <laughs> I mean, like this book doesn't work without Sunandi. This is one of the like yeah. great things about this book is having this like like for two reasons. One is she's like really smart and no bullshit. And mm-hmm. two, that she comes from a very different culture and so like gets to like look at this culture from the outside, right? Like there's a lot of cool fantasy and science fiction that and genre fiction generally that's kind of like anthropological and it's about like going to new places and understanding them. And like she is not a fucking anthropologist. She's a spy. And like that yeah. is key to this book working is that she sees what's going on in the culture and doesn't like it and like calls it's bullshit yeah. where it's bullshit should exist and like without that i don't think this book works as well as it does like totally not at all that kind of like opposite moral framework to push against the moral framework of the other two main characters yeah and it really helps us as readers by giving us this person you know so she it's so it's so clever how it's done because she's not a total outsider right like Mm -hmm. totally her culture the kiso culture is like not super far away from Gujarian culture like it's close enough that like they kind of have you know access to each other's tropes at least on some level like right it's Britain they have a certain France. amount of shared history and it's, yeah exactly it's Texas and New York it's like okay and, it's and different she, yeah. but come on and she's lived there for a few years so she knows some right. stuff she's not totally ignorant which would be potentially kind of even more difficult because then there would have to be more info dumping going on to right. her and to us potentially but instead, it's like this carefully modulated level of familiarity where stuff does need to get explained, but like not too much. Mm-hmm. And so we're get we're given like a window into this and and like but like at the same time, there's more time. There's less explanation needed and there's more time for her to react. Right. To and the, the stuff ex- that's to, explained to the, is never like she never le- learns needs to learn new facts per se. She needs to learn worldviews. Yeah. She le- needs to learn like motivations yeah. and why people believe the things they believe. And that's most of the arguments that get had. Not factually. What are the like actions that we're taking? What is a hetawa? <laughs> right. Like she knows that. <laughs> 
She knows how all this shit what works. What are dream blood? Rather, the question is like, is this murder or is this gathering? And like, or is it both? Yeah. Or, you know, like that's right. the question for her. She 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 knows what gatherers do and she fucking hates them because she <laughs> cannot see the world from their point of view, even though she kind of knows what they would say. Right. You know? Right. Or she thinks she knows. Right. And like, it's also cool how like, you know, she kind of her power relative to this other culture like fluctuates dramatically throughout the book. And so we get this very different series of kind of vignettes of her relationship to the Gujarian culture based on her different levels of power. Like at the end, she comes back to Gujarat and she's fucking, you know, she could do whatever she wanted. Like she, she is now, you know, so much more respected in Kisua and she is like, obviously like a leading Kisua expert on Gujarat and Kisua owns Gujarat now. And so she can just like waltz into the fucking Hetoa and like she can see she she like remarks to herself in her head like, wow, I never thought I would be able to see this shit like looking into these secluded training areas within the Hetoa complex, mm-hmm. you know. That, mm-hmm. that, that like what you know all this behind the scenes stuff that she she and she had never been there before right so like right, she, when she right. walks in and sees the statue she'd never seen it before right. but in the beginning she's like literally sleeping with the prince and like desperate to like get a glimpse at like his you know treasure chest full of ancient documents <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a different power dynamic there she's like jousting with him yeah you know yeah and she comes back and he's dead Partly because of her, and she's like can like <laughs> oh walk like anywhere. largely because of her. I mean, yeah. like she <laughs> she was instrumental in that happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting to hear to see like the outsider in lots of different contexts, but right. same outsider, and also her relationship to the ideas changes because she gets to know Nigeria and she comes to, I think you know have a lot of sympathy for him. I, I mean, it seems like least. she does. Yeah, like, yeah, it's so complicated because she's still at the end or at least near the end before the gatherers go back to Gujarat. Like, you know, when they have that scene outside the protector's palace. I was just uh, going to bring this up. I think this is like the key change in her perspective is this moment in this scene. Yeah, right. When she like perceives finally that actually like all these regular people in Kisua like are very sympathetic to what the gatherers are capable of. Right. <laughs> now, right. they may not realize that what they actually want are sharers, you know, but they, they, right. they're very sympathetic to narcomancy, basically. They're, there's, they want some of the things it can offer. Um, and, and she kind of didn't see it that way. She didn't see the give and take that was possible. She just saw pain because her, you know, her her beloved was murdered by a gatherer or by a reaper. And because she's steeped in her own ideology, which is, you know, for all that, like, sure, maybe she like came from the streets. Like she has been in luxury and power her, like most of her entire life, right? Like she is steeped in her own like ideology and her own like power politics, which is different from the folks who have like dying kids who are poor. Right. I mean, it's worth saying that like a lot of the folks who, you know, we don't see life on the ground, right? We don't see that much life of like, what is life like for like everyday Kujarine or Kinsua people? Um, and, but you what, know, that's one of those moments we do. And I think it helps us realize like, oh, yeah. the answer is like not great, actually. And in fact, it's like life on the ground in Kujarine might be a lot better than in Kinsua, even though for us, Kinsua seems like a nicer place in some ways. Yeah, it's complicated. 
It is. You know? And and the other thing about her in her life is that, you know, she's one of the very, very few Kiswa people who's had multiple loved ones murdered by Gujarin. <laughs> right, <laughs> like right, how many totally. other Kiswa have had that kind of like none of them because Gujarin people don't usually kill Kiswa people. It's just not a right. thing, except she happens to have been at the front leading bleeding edge of this conflict, this cultural conflict. Right. So she suffered before any of the others would have. So she has a very, very unique perspective on on the on the two cultures. Yeah, those masses might have seen the gatherers differently after twenty thousand people died in a giant right. like reaping, <laughs> you know, in the middle yeah. of the desert. Like so they might have felt differently at that point. <laughs> they might have. They might have. And she also is afraid, right? She's afraid of That's a good Narcomancy. Point, yeah. Right. She's scared of it. It's scary. Right. It fucking kills. And and the others they don't see that you know they 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 remember the legends of what it can do positively, right? You know, and I think there's that element of like you know history. It's always like easy to remember the good points. It's always easy to be like, oh, things were better back then because it's easy to ignore <laughs> all the ways that things were shitty. Yeah. Another thing that I love culturally is so. Oh, actually, before oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious because we're talking about this. You know, question mm-hmm. time. Uh, question if time. you had to choose, would you rather be a like you know regular everyday person in Kujara or in Kinsua? Kujara, definitely. Okay. Even definitely. though that means being like a servant caste and like you know essentially being a slave and like you know, potentially being gathered at any point. Well, it's not clear to me that they don't have a caste system in Kiswa. I think they may have some other system that like, I don't think that if I were a regular person in Kiswa, I wouldn't have to bend the knee. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, totally. I I probably would have to. So in, in that case, it's just a matter of like, well, you know, I don't think it would be great being either of them, but on balance, I'd rather be a little healthier and a little better educated on average, you know? Right, right. I guess you're doing the, That's how the, I see the, it. what's what's the philosopher with the like, you know, the the like blind of like, you know, going into a culture Rawls. not yeah, John Rawls, Rawls, exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, cool. So you would do Kudra. I'm not sure. I like I, I frankly am not sure. Part of it is we don't see as much of Kinsua, so you know. There's that too, yeah. but like, but I think it's also an interesting, like part of my qu- answer too is like, yeah, neither. I mean, like both are ultimately, you know, very hierarchical, like city state yeah. cultures where like the lives <laughs> of most people are like not very good for all that, you know, and I think this is worth saying about a lot of the ancient world and like early civilizations, like, you know, again, going back to, it's easy to remember the great stuff from history. Like, sure. It's easy to remember that like these giant pyramids like exist now, but like the thousands of people who like died building them like you don't see or who at very least (laughs) were like broken building them because of like the difficult human labor that went into that and like you know to have a society where you can pour that much human labor into like giant monuments to the god kings is probably not a great society for anyone except for those who are like really close to the god king but it's so it's so tricky though because like you know if if all we have to choose from are things that were in that world then right which which would you pick totally totally you know i mean i think i would it's not obvious i wouldn't pick egypt slash gujara you know i i i i I mean certainly in the in the in dreamblood books in in this fiction i would pick gujara i think 
I don't know, man. I think I'm with like, you know, Scott on this one, like, you know, go to the mountains, like lose writing, you know, like appoint a monkey for your chief and like call it good. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to bend the knee. No, no, I'm, I'm, (laughs) you know, (laughs) more of the art of not being governed myself. Yeah. I would be a Taoist hermit if that were an option, but I don't know. I mean, it's a desert out there, man. Right. Yeah. Being a hermit might be difficult. You do see some more of that kind of stuff. I think you'll like the second book, Matt. I think you'll like some of what you get to see there. Speaking of like different cultures and stuff and desert cultures. Man, desert cultures are fucking cool. I know you're all about like forever winter, but I love desert culture shit. No, dude, I love the desert too. I'm not not about the desert. Man, I grew up near a desert. I know. I mean, I grew up near forever winter, which is why I think it's less my jam, but... (laughs) I'll tell you this, I love the music of the Tuareg people. I love lots of Tuareg musicians and that oh, is the thing I don't that know what that is. Joy. Tuareg uh so the Tuareg is another group of people that are based around the southern Sahara in countries like Niger and Mali and Nigeria, northern Nigeria and Okay. Um they there is a type of like blues inflected guitar music that is oh, sort of cool. like fusion between American blues rock and Tuareg traditional music that was like first made famous by Tanarawen. If you've heard of them, they've won like Grammys and stuff, but no, I have just a bunch but... of other artists who are into that. And I love like a bunch of these artists. Um, and, and like, I love their music. It's the kind of thing I listen nice. to actually like a lot. You should um, send and, me some of it and I'll like try yeah. to drop something in. So folks are like listening to some cool. Totally. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very much the kind of thing it. that will play. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that plays in my head when I'm picturing a caravan <laughs> moving across the desert, you know, that's awesome. That's so cool. I'm very curious to hear it. Cause I don't, I, you, you know, yeah. way more about music and especially like world music than I do. So I feel like I always learn cool stuff from you about that. All right. Let's cool. Shall we, can I ask you a question? Yeah, again? please do. All right, I want to, it's just dream related again. No, 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 no. So, which dream power of all the various dream related powers is most appealing to you? Would you most like to possess? I don't know. What are the different dream power? Like, how would you? you well, know? there's a lot. Okay, so for for instance, I mean, you know, one of the things that they're able to do is to, um, you know, basically the equivalent of lucid dream whenever they want. You know, they can just like manipulate if they do dream whenever they're in the dream world in a car or whatever it's called, you know, they can they can kind of control it using the power of their soul's name. I mean, I I guess I'd say that. So when I was a kid, I was obsessed with lucid dreaming and I was obsessed with like trying to figure out how to lucid dream. I did the thing of like trying to teach myself, get in the habit of like looking at clocks all the time so that I'd notice or like, you know, notice, like, like try to like look at text and see if I can actually read it or not. Like all these Mm -hmm. like lucid dreaming tricks that you hear about, Mm -hmm. you know, I watched waking life and just like, that was like, you know, like galaxy brain Adrian (laughs) all over the place. Uh, Like I loved all of that stuff. And I only ever uh, like have lucid dreamed a few times, even with all this, like trying to, Um, you know, it's very more than me. I don't think I've ever done it. Yeah. I mean, I've only done it a little bit. And oftentimes what's happened is I start to lucid dream and I wake myself up by the shock of realizing that I'm dreaming and able to lucid dream. Um, there's also some stuff that's happened where, which is really weird, which is like noticing I'm in a dream, but not being lucid for it. So like 
you have the like awareness mm. piece without the control yeah. piece. And that's actually really yeah. terrifying. Uh, that's not fun. Really? I would say. Yeah. Because you can't do anything about like the imagery that's coming at you all of a sudden. Right. Huh. It's like you, you all of a sudden have like less control than you normally do in the dream because the illusion of control that you usually have is gone. You're just like going through these like images and doing this stuff while knowing that you're dreaming doing it. Um, but you can't control yourself even like, cause yourself yeah. is also an element of the dream world. Uh, you know, and then like there's stuff like, you know, like night paralysis, dream paralysis, like that kind of stuff, which is yeah. really like intense. That's scary. Yeah. I've, I've only had that a few times, but like every time I do, it's always like, Oh fuck. Um, yeah. Super scary. Super scary. And like a kind of thing where like part of your brain knows that there's nothing to be afraid of. Part of your brain knows that like, Oh, this is just like a thing. And then the other part of your brain is like, this is forever now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's another part of your brain that's like, you're always going to feel this way. <laughs> Get um, fucking used to it. Right. Which is part of why, like for me, this like, you know, view of like the, the gathering gone wrong is so terrifying. Like that feeling of like, you're always mm. going to be in that place. is just like the worst, um, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess, you know, my answer would be lucid dreaming, like the ability to actually do that, like actually control the like all the elements of my dreams, which includes myself and includes yeah. the environment, because all of it is just like, you know, right, like ego tunnel, you know, simulation stuff going on. So, yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up. What's cool. What's cool is that, you know, in Gujarat, like children by the age of what, like seven floods or something like that. I forget right, what they like say. Must be able to lucid dream. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. Isn't that fucking cool? They must be <laughs> able to so like cool. use some hieroglyphs yeah. and lucid dream. <laughs> right. They have to be able to write their own name and lucid dream. It's essentially what it is. Yes. <laughs> so cool. Oh, so into it. What about yeah, you? Did you, were that. there any dream powers that like stuck out to you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think honestly, being able to harvest dreams and use them to heal people is fucking awesome. Right. That is cool. That is pretty cool. I suppose I could have thought of like the real world applications of this stuff, too. But like, no, I want the dream world stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's also crazy how like you can. Um, Do you ever think you about how like dreams are just like VR, but your like brain is doing it? It's like VR without needing technology. <laughs> Uh, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I don't think dreams have ever fascinated me in exactly the same way that they do so many other people. Um, oh, like you. I think, is this like your cool, thing? Like you can't smell. I mean, is this like, so no, weird? no, no. I think they're cool for sure. And I definitely like okay. would enjoy knowing how to lucid dream. I think it'd be really amazing, you know? Right. But I guess, I guess like, um, it just doesn't like, it doesn't obsess me. It seems it seems very cool, but it doesn't obsess me. Maybe. It's, it's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely very cool. I, when I was little, I uh, I did go through a phase where I tried to train myself to do this like waking dreaming thing, um, which is really cool. Oh, what is um, that? There's different techniques for it, but the idea is kind of like meditating, but almost like the mirror, the like negative image of meditating. Instead of, you know, there's various kinds of meditating. Obviously, as, right. as you right know so well, but like I, I mean, in I, this I'm aware of, yeah, in this type of, you know, quote unquote meditating, what you do is you try to dream while being awake. Basically, you Fuck. try to let your imagination go nuts, basically. And like, just like you try to, you basically practice like lying back and letting the current of your imagination take you where it will. 
which does oh, require okay. a lot of practice. Okay, yeah, no, so I have done a little bit of that, actually. Yeah. Another thing I've done is when I was, like, meditating, like, a lot and doing, like, meditation retreats and that kind of thing, one of the things I started getting better at was um, meditating, like, lying down in bed and instead of just trying to go to sleep, like, rather just, like, meditating and trying to get closer and closer to being aware of the point that I actually go to sleep like, is a oh, really cool. interesting practice of, like, that's cool. being just, like, hyper aware of your body while you're falling asleep with, yeah, it was cool. kind of intense. Um, and also a thing that, like, you know, on the one hand, it sounds like, oh, sure, I can do that. And it's like, no, it's really hard. It's yeah, incredibly it difficult. And I never, like, actually yeah. was aware of falling asleep itself. But I could get, like, closer and closer to it. And it was, like, a wild feeling. But, yeah, that that thing of, like, being able to... I mean, like, this is the thing of, like, the ego tunnel is such a fascinating fucking thing. Like, our mind is so wild because on the one hand, like, most of the time, you know, everything we experience is, like, a simulation that, like, our brain is creating for us. And <laughs> right. it's, like, based on, like, input from the outside world, sure. But also, like, it can create that simulation without that input from the outside world. Like, you don't actually need, like, you know motor uh like sensory nerves firing in your fingers for the like related nerves in your brain to be firing um and like that's that's wild one thing so one yeah. thing i did actually get fairly good at after a while which is kind of similar to all this stuff we're talking about is um so right like when you like listen to music it like music has a certain sound Right. It sounds real. Yeah. And yeah. then you can think about the music. You can remember the music. You can even like play the music in your head, which is this like other level, like higher level of fidelity than just remembering. It. <laughs> yeah. But it still doesn't sound like you're hearing it. And so one thing uh, for a while I started practicing was like just getting to the point where I could like hear noises as I thought them. Cool get closer yeah. and closer to the experience of that, like what it feels like to actually hear a real sound instead of just like think about a song in your head after the fact. And like, that was oh, yeah. cool. Cause you can actually get better and better at it. And you can like, yeah. the thing I found was I could find certain noises that I could hear better, like hear kind of in quotes. I don't know what the like correct word for this thing is than yeah, like yeah. other noises. And I would just practice hearing those noises and then try to like open it up to like more noises and then to like more structured noise and sound and stuff. Um, that is cool. This must, I must sound like a fucking weirdo saying this stuff. No, like, dude, on I, the I think one of the austerity. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think, I think one of the things that like to zoom out a little, like one of the things that, that I find the most fascinating about any discussion of dreams or you know, the sort of subconscious stuff going on in your brain is the extent to which it's possible to train yourself to notice more of it or to notice it differently or to yeah. kind of manipulate it in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, people, I think, have this vague idea. In, people in general tend to think that a lot of stuff you can't learn. Like that, like there's all these things that some people are just good at and that you can't really learn how to do them. Yeah. I think that's total bullshit, right? Whether we're talking about dreams or we're talking about how to play tennis, like talent is a much smaller component like genetic talent or predisposition to be good at stuff is like a way way smaller component of getting better at stuff than people think it is right right and i and think this that is stuff included tends in to that. like differentiate at like the very lowest levels and the very highest exactly. levels but there's a giant middle ground where like actually just like yeah. effort is the like most salient thing yeah 
In fact, I've read uh, I've read studies that suggest that it's only at the lower levels. It's not even at the very very highest levels. Uh, at the very really highest levels, the number of hour like the number of hours that you've practiced total or weekly or whatever correlates right. much more strongly than at the low levels. And I think what happens is like you know right when you start something, if you already know like some related thing, you can see how you know you'd be you'd be kind of quickly able to pick it up perhaps oh yeah i mean like this is the thing of like you see like these youtube videos of like you know oh yeah someone learns the violin in two days and it's like yeah but they could oh or they were already a musician (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right. and it's like right i can't learn the violin in two days because i'm not a musician with any kind of music yeah yeah but if you've put you know Twenty thousand hours into playing music in other ways, right? You know, you you your muscle. You have so much muscle memory and lots of different things. You have so much like you, you've trained your ears. To hear. You've, yeah, yeah, you've there's you so te- much. You can build better feedback loops if nothing yeah. else. Practice is so incredibly critical to learning anything. And what's really trippy is when you think about how there are all these things that people don't think of as even being able to be practiced that completely can be, like dreaming and those various aspects of meditation, the various aspects of how you notice different patterns in your own thought that you maybe wouldn't have, or you kind of train yourself to produce new patterns in your your thought that you might not have realized a person could produce. Right. There's so much stuff that can be learned. So a lot um, of like the- American philosophy of mind, like, you know, talks about introspection. Cause like, you know, introspection and being able to like think about and like communicate sort of like our internal states of beings is like one of the ways that we can do like philosophy of mind. One of the ways that we like think about, you know, what it is to feel things or whatever. And it is always really fascinating to me, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of really cool actually um, research that has gone into how good or, or actually much more frequently how bad we are at introspecting. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of these studies where like, you know, you know, like I, going back to dreams, like the question of like, do you dream in color is like, you know, some people say they do. Some people say they dream in black and white, whatever. But like, you know, one of the things that these studies have been done and, and have shown is that like it actually like that's almost like an in like a question that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. Like, obviously, your your eyes are not seeing colors one way or the other. So like, do you dream in color? Like really comes down to a question of like not only just memory, but like interpretation after the fact of like what was happening internally. Yeah. And it turns out yeah. we're, most people are pretty bad at like relating what was actually happening internally for them. But to your point, and I think this is a thing that a lot of like Western philosophy of mind kind of like ignores like not everyone is equally as good at introspecting. In fact, like that is a skill you can get better at and you can get better at certain specific parts of introspecting too, right? Like going through a Freudian like analysis, like doing psychoanalysis is like a different kind of introspecting than meditation is. It's a different kind of introspecting yeah. than like different kinds of meditation are different types of introspecting even. Yeah. Um, and it's critical to realize that it, you know, it's not going to be like easy to learn. You know, yeah. like thing, thing, to, to really learn something, especially if you're not sort of if you're not like if, if you're not already skilled at a thing, like starting from zero involves a lot of hours. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of time and a lot of has frustration to go into the practice. And you have to practice correctly, too. If you do something uh, wrong so 10,000 times, you're not going to ever learn how to right. do it right. Right. Well, and there's two. I mean, there's this element. So, you know. I've done a lot of curriculum development, a lot of education work. And there's this 
thing that we talk about a lot of like the the curve, the like motivation curve of learning something new. And there's this sort of like mm. curve that most people go through when learning something new, which is like, you know, you start with something and it's really hard and you don't know anything and you're kind of in like the middle of this of this graph. If, if the graph is mm-hmm. sort of like the, the you know, the 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 X axis, the horizontal axis is, you know, sort of like time and going from left to right. And the Mm -hmm. vertical axis is like motivation going like high motivation at top and low motivation at zero at the bottom. And like you start kind of in the middle of like things are hard, but like you're also kind of like doing new stuff. And like what tends to happen is that you learn easy stuff quickly. You start to get a little bit good really quickly at just like anything. Cause everything is brand new and like your motivation goes up pretty quickly at the beginning. And then what happens is at a certain point you've learned enough to know how bad you actually are at a thing <laughs> and motivation just plummets. You just yeah. hit this like trough in the middle of like, you've gotten good enough to know how shitty you are and know yeah. how far you have to go. And like, that's where like a lot of people drop off on stuff because all of a sudden oh, it, yeah. it gets like more daunting over time. And in fact, what yeah. the, the, ex, the subjective ex- experience of this, which like may or may not be true in different ways, this, but the experience of it is not of like, oh, I've learned more and I see how much further it is to go to get to where I want to be. The subjective experience is I'm getting worse at this thing before I can get better. Yeah. Right. right. Like it but, feels like you're getting worse and worse and worse. And right. like, that's so demotivating and yeah. like teaching people how to recognize, like, no, you're not getting worse. You're just getting to harder territory is a really important part of course design. And like part of like one of the key elements to it is like, you know, you, you might want to take the same test that you took early on and it was really hard and then take it again in the middle of the course and be like, no, see, it has gotten easier. You are actually better at this stuff and giving people objective ways of understanding how much better they actually are is an easy way to kind of like help like buoy that curve a little bit, like not have it plummet so directly. Yeah, that stuff is amazing. Video games do actually, a lot of this too. You can actually get better at like observing your own learning right and like and like that's also something that benefits from practice like everything else right well that's that like learning is itself a skill i mean as you as you pointed out like practicing correctly is one of the best ways to actually learn something better right like one of the big differentiators of like you know world-class athletes is how well they practice not even how much time they put into it but how well they put that time into it everyone has the same 24 hours how well do you spend those 24 hours and it's not a matter of effort it's a matter of like how good is your practice and there's something like to this idea of like you can get better at learning all right like we talked about the youtube channel i mean mike boyd which is this youtube channel that i think both you and i really like (laughs) like part of what's so great about it is like he's not he's 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 showcased he's gotten really good at learning things and watching someone who's good at learning things learn new things is really cool (laughs) yeah i like his attitude i think that's the critical yeah sort of you know it's a critical step for a lot of things for a lot of people and for a lot of learning a lot of things because you know even for somebody who is perhaps good at learning you know um how to play different musical instruments because they've already practiced learning how to play like two so the next the third one and the fourth one are going to be pretty relatively easier for them if that Mm -hmm. person then starts to want to learn a foreign language for the first time they may not they may find that Oh, they thought that they were so good at learning, but it's a different kind of learning they have to do now. And so they have to sort of learn some new skills. And that 
you know, all over again, you know, is a process of kind of dealing with the motivation curve. Right. Um, or it turns out like so, the kind of learning they're really good at is going from like advanced to expert, but going from like beginner to advanced is a different kind of learning requires a different skill and they're not good at that kind of yeah. learning yet. Or it's the other opposite can happen too, where like people are really good at like learning the beginning stuff of things and then get demotivated, but they get really good at learning a little bit about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Raises hand. It's all true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is just like Nigeria. Um, right. Yeah. We've gone a little bit off course. <laughs> I mean, just like a dream, each step along the way right. made sense. We'll, we'll be able to This is to our know. <laughs> dream quest of unknown of, uh, Unknown spectology. Um, is there anything more that we want to say about this? Like in certain ways I feel very like good about the, like I've said the stuff I wanted to say about the oh, broken yeah. dreams and everything. I have one question for you. Yeah. Though. Do what I? is up with the moon? The moon is not a moon. The planet <laughs> they are on is a moon and the moon is a fucking gas giant planet. <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> so fucking It has cool. bands of bile. Bands yeah, of, uh, not bile, bands of uh, humor. His right, humor yeah, and those clouds are, you know, the, like, various, like, cloud uh, rings, uh, like, you know, on Jupiter or Saturn or the, whatever. The, like, yeah, whatever you call the... Uh, cloud bands. It is yeah. bands, I think, is actually, you got yeah. the word right. Yeah, man, I love that. When I figured that out the first time reading it, I was, like, so stoked. <laughs> it's such an N.K. Jemison move. Right. Because it's, like, um, she's, her world building, like, starts at like the highest level, like, or the lowest level. <laughs> but you're right. It's such an NK Jemison move. It's like exactly her thing of like, you know, she never yeah. needs to tell you that the moon is actually the planet. Like yeah, she just not, gives not, you their perspective. Right. It's not like of great importance to the narrative at all, but it's a cool thing. It's right. a cool fact. It's also this element of like, it's, it's the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, that's like a science fiction element in a fantasy story, right? Where it's like, fuck it. The genres are not important. What's important is like the cool stuff here, like the cool specific things. Yeah. Um, exactly. Cool. So with that, we should wrap up because we're really behind schedule and uh, you have things to do and people to <laughs> let in. Um you know, it's been psychology. Thank you to everyone for listening so far. I hope I like said like a little bit less. Um, <laughs> thank you to WJ for our music that you're hearing now and in the intro. He's a cool guy, and you can find this music and some of his other stuff on SoundCloud. Searching WJ. Uh, Noah Bradley for our artwork. Uh, he does our kind of like cover art, art that we use, um, which is really cool of him to let us use that. Yeah, you can find us at SpectologyPod on Twitter or SpectologyPod at gmail.com if you want to, you know, give us any feedback or tell us your thoughts on this book or N.K. Jemison's other thoughts. If we got anything wrong and you want to correct us, we always appreciate that, actually. Um, or if you just want to, like, come out and chat, I'm on Twitter way too much and happy to chat with folks um, about sci-fi books. That's my whole Thanks, life everyone. Jam. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, with that, anything else, Matt? Final thoughts? Moons are cool. Moons are cool. are cool. Cool. So we'll be back in a week or two with our next book, which I don't know what it is yet. And I think there might be a guest, but I'm not sure. So y'all find out when we do. <laughs> All right. Peace, everyone. Peace out. Bye.